This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Josh Newberg and Chris Nee, as usual. Uh, we want to keep things nice and light on this podcast because it's a stressful time. Let's be honest. Uh, we don't want to get into voting stuff, but there is a voting topic that I feel like we have to start off with because uh, mm-hmm. it was all over Twitter the other day and it's all people are talking about. Fellas, Pop-Tarts versus Toaster Strudel. Who you got? Uh, Pop-Tarts in a runaway. Not even close, huh? I've probably eaten more Pop-Tarts in my life, but I think I like Toaster Strudels more. So Toaster Strudel? Yeah, I'm going with it. So Adam uh, on Twitter, he's, he's known as Prime Discussion, and he's popular on, on FSU Twitter. Is FSU Twitter still a thing? It's not still a thing, but he's an FSU fan. It's in shambles right now. Uh, on Twitter. <laughs> yes, it is. It's divided. Uh, but, Adam, but Adam put this on Twitter the other day, and like the vote was pretty close to 50-50, split like of almost 2,000 voters, and I think Pop-Tarts just came through. My thought was like Pop-Tarts uh, – I, I voted for Pop-Tarts because – yeah, the toaster strudel's A game is is probably the best. Uh, you know, it's warm. You got that icing, but it takes time to to get it going. You have to get the icing just right. If not, it's all smudged up and and not as good. The pop tart you could just literally take it in the car and eat it on the go. And that versatility to me, and it's not bad warmed up either. I agree. I think good. that's probably why I've eaten more more yeah. pop tarts in my life. You're right, uh, but uh, s'mores pop tart or some of those high quality pop tarts can't be beat. But there are some garbage pop tarts out there in the market too. I remember there was a hurricane a few years ago and I was living closer to campus. Was it Hermine? And I went to club pub and the only pop pop tart that was left and the the whole entire rows of pop tarts were taken off the shelf. All the college students loaded up on pop tarts for power to go out. Watermelon flavored pop tarts. There was like 30 boxes of that shit left. No one wanted it. It's better to eat the box than the actual pop tart. (laughs) All right, let's, let's get into the show. We got a podcast here, right? We do. We do. So we're gonna do our pit preview today. Uh, we have some some tea, some scoop tea to to feed the people, and then uh, and some recruiting as well. We're gonna go to kind of opposite order because Josh is pressed on time today potentially. So we'll do the pit, pit preview at the end, and we will get his algorithm pick though before he leaves. So some tea. I'm gonna drop some tea here. You ready, guys? Hamster Nazardine. He is practicing. Uh, we reported that on Knowles 24/7 earlier the week that he was back practicing. Uh, we do not know if he's in the game plan or not. Mike Norvell confirmed that he's been practicing. What do we say? Is he going to play? What's the gut? What's the barometer IDUX right now that we don't know? We're, we're guessing blindly on that, but we do know factually that he is practicing. I can't wait to wear those goggles in pregame and just watch Hampson Nazaldine for minutes on end. It's, you should do a thread. The whole reason I'm going to wake up on Saturday, in fact. Um, a, sure, a why not? Why not? He's going to play. I mean, who the hell knows at this point? Like that, that thing has been so wrapped in mystery for no real reason. Who knows? I think he certainly wants to play. I think that's truly been the fact for at least a week or two now, uh, going back to the last game at least. 
I think it comes down to everybody being in agreement that he should play. I've been kind of the pessimistic one whenever it comes to Nazardine. So I'm going to say that he, I'm going to say that he's still another week out. Um, having heard from Norvell and I'm not just guessing on this, but just having heard from Norvell um, it sounds like this thing's moving very slowly. And while we get closer and closer, I'm just not ready to, I'm just not feeling that we're going to see him on the field this week. But Josh, at what point then do you just say it's not going to happen? Cause there's only five games. Mm, I've kind of been season. saying that all year. All right. <laughs> Right, like they were kind of at shit or get off the pot time on on this, and I and listen yeah. if if him or his, his camp uh, don't want him like to to risk further injury because he had the setback in the preseason, and remember the injury happened initially in late mm-hmm. November as a Florida game. Uh, this is a guy who's going to get drafted. If you don't want him to risk re-injury or another setback with like three games left in the schedule, like I completely understand that. Uh, we're just running out of time for this to say like it makes sense for him to come back. Like, does it make sense for him to come back for for two games, three games? Yeah, potentially. No, um, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like, at that well, point, I mean, if he comes back now, he's not. He's going to come back for more than two. Yes, games. I agree. I agree. If he's now. truly healthy, coming back is worthwhile because he can show he is truly healthy. He can dismiss that question before he gets to the draft process. So, I think there is a limited value to it. I don't know if there's a ton of value in him playing, you know, five, potentially six games. But I do think coming back, showing he's healthy, getting around the field, even though he'll be a little bit rusty, obviously, but still showing that he is similar to his old self pre-November last year. I think that is that carries some positive uh, returns for him. There are some smoking guns around this, too. Like if you want to connect the puzzle pieces here, if you want to connect the dots, Jaden Lars would be, I can report, has practiced at least some at stud linebacker this week. I can say that confidently. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to line up and start at stud this week, uh, but I do know that he's at least gotten some work there. That happened a little bit earlier in the year against Miami when around the same time they thought Hamso was coming back and then there was that setback. So that would lead me to believe that if they're confident, at least trying him back at stud a little bit, one of the buck safeties that they may have someone coming back. That would be Hamso. When's the last time would be played there? Uh, his freshman season, it was a different name. It was star and it was a slightly different scheme, but that role where he was playing as a space mm-hmm. linebacker and he was really good in that. That was his best football. He was playing at the end of his freshman year. Um, that I think people forget about. And then Brendan Gant also being listed as a co-starter on the depth chart at buck safety was an interesting development. It was unnecessary to, to go ahead and throw him in bold and put the ore next to him uh, as well as a starter. If, if you, Again, we're planning to give him increased roles. That, again, leads to the Jaden Lars would-be moving uh, idea and possibly the, the hamster Nazareth in return. So there's some there's some pieces around it to monitor. It's going to be fun for, for Chris to be looking through the binoculars. You're going to bring your own this time, Chris? You're going to try to steal mine again? They're already in the bag. Attaboy. Attaboy. All right. Uh, a little bit more tea for you guys to sip on. Tamari and Terry, 90, I'm going to say 5% sure he's going to play this weekend. 95% sure. I have it from from a decent source that, that the plan is right now for him to play, unless there's some kind of setback with the knee. Uh, today's the last day of practice on Thursday as we're recording this, unless there's a setback between now and, and Saturday, all likelihood for him to play. How big would that be, Chris, to get him back in the fold for the receivers? 
Well, it certainly changes the dynamic of the offense. And the other big thing is uh, we'll get into this a bit with the pit preview, but Pitt's going to challenge you. They're going to put you in one-on-one situations, but they're going to be very physical, with you, even on the outside with their DBs on receivers. you got to win one-on-ones. FSU's dreadful at that. They've won six all year, to my knowledge. Terry's a guy who is capable of that. He has a couple of those victories. So I was going to say, how many do you think of Terry's? How many of those I, six do you think are tomorrow? It's half, at least? Yeah, well, I know two are definitely him. I know four of the six off the top of my head for sure, and he's two of those four. Okay. So I don't know about remaining two. Uh, Nico Dodson, Renardo Green, this is public. We asked Mike Norvell this the other day. This isn't necessarily scoop, but I asked Norvell if those two projected starting defensive backs are going to be available for this week against Pitt. Nico Dodson said, like, no, like he has a long way to go still or longer ways to go. Renardo Green's more working back, trying to, I would say, Dotson's probably out to doubtful right now to use the NFL terms and green is probably doubtful to questionable. I think that's fair, Chris, based on the way yes. Norvell described based it. on the way Mike talked about it yesterday. I like to use the NFL terms. It makes me feel more professional. All right. Then the last piece of scoop here that I have, uh, and I know Bud Elliott talked about this on the Noel cast, Bud and I talked a little bit about this because we, we both heard something similar here, uh, which made me feel good that we're that he heard it. And then he was like, Hey, check this out. And I dug around, heard it as well. was able to confirm. Uh, there was a team meeting during the bye week uh, which we knew about. And initially I heard it and was like, okay, it's just a rah, rah players only team meeting kind of deal. Uh, I said, team meeting is a player only meeting. And you kind of roll your eyes usually when you hear about a player only meeting, because uh, it's just, it's such an overblown storyline. This is interesting because the player only meeting in this regard was not guys sitting together to say, hey, we got to play better. We got to we got to do this better. We got to be more together. It wasn't the rah-rah uh, team building thing. It was more so meeting to discuss practice schedule during the bye week because FSU, uh, basically there's usually a three-day stretch where you're off and a bye week is how it usually works for college football teams. Uh, but because COVID era and not wanting guys to go home and, and have additional exposure with contact tracing uh, and then risk obviously, you know, missing time in the remainder of the season for a couple of weeks. Uh, FSU had a practice listen on Saturday of the bye week, which prevented people from going home. And it's also part because of the schedule with the NCAA having the Tuesday off for voting uh, for election day, the following week. I think that was also part of the the factor for having maybe an extra day of practice than you normally would during a bye. But regardless, the players were wanting time off to heal, some of them time off to go home. And that was more what the meeting was, was to discuss. I don't think it was a mutiny kind of deal. It was more like, hey, should we talk to Coach Norvell about having this day off? They then asked for it. And my understanding is that Norvell explained it to them as, well, you guys go home and you contract COVID from someone. If you're additional exposure, if you're outside of the protocol, that puts us at risk. Are you willing to then potentially not play for two weeks if if that's the case? So that's what that team meeting, the player only meeting was about. Uh, I think our fan base hears that and starts to roll their eyes. Josh, I'll start with you. I guess, how do you absorb that that information, that scoop? Um, not surprising. Just kind of them doing some housekeeping, but it's good for Mike Norvell to show them, hey, these are these are your options. These are your consequences. You guys decide what you want to do. I like it. Chris, anything? Do I, want to say do I really have that? to do I really have to answer? Yes. Um, Pe- people okay. are waiting with uh, bated breath for your answer specifically on this. I know this. 
when you're at Florida State and you're a football player on scholarship, to some degree, that is your job. And you do what the schedule says you do. And it is what it is. Yeah. The Tuesday off changed the schedule and the whole idea of going home and you know, putting yourself in the COVID protocol potentially is foolish in today's circumstances. I get it. You want a day off. And I understand they did get a day off like that. That's the thing about this. That I think might get glanced over. They did end up getting a day off. I believe it was Thursday of last week. They had completely off. The fact that guys wanted to leave potentially and they didn't get that time off is probably where the sticking point was. Mm-hmm. But get over it. Yeah, I, I think that's where ultimately like it, the act of them having the meeting wasn't quite as nefarious as some make it out to, to be. But at the same time, uh, you're a two and four football team. You're trying to grasp onto anything that you can positively and to complain about like having to practice an extra day, not being able to go home. Like I get it sucks. You probably feel homesick more so now this year than ever before. I'm more isolated now, uh, given the protocol that you're probably under for most of the players. But it's tough for me to to necessarily side with the players. And I usually try to understand uh, where they're coming from, but it, but it's tough to to excuse that, I guess, because you understand like you have to practice to get better. And is that not what your full commitment is? I think that's the question is, are you not fully committed to getting better if, if you're not wanting to practice that extra day? And that leaves a sour taste in your mouth for Florida State fans, I know, and, and I understand that, so... All right, let's do a, a quick ad read here for Market Square Liquors. I got some some fun information on our sponsor that they're going to have some some different things coming up, some events that I want to kind of point you guys to. Uh, but Market Square Liquors is by far the the best uh, liquor store in town, and and the lounge is right next door in Market Square. It is an exquisite bar essentially, but it's it's sophisticated, it's classy. They have an amazing bourbon selection, one of the best you'll find in the state, probably. Uh, from my experience, like one of the best you'll find anywhere, to be honest. And a few things on Market Square Liquors right now, they're located off Timberlane Road. You can call ahead. They have curbside service, which, you know, if you don't feel like going into the store, you can call ahead. Uh, 850-893-9636. They'll bring it out to your car. They also now deliver on Postmates and Uber Eats. How dangerous is that, Christopher? We can get people to just come and drop off beer at our house. I'm glad I'm reformed. <laughs> I liked you better when you were not reformed. Uh, they also have the new Ology Vodka. Uh, Chris is a fan of Ology and some of the, the brews that they've done, but, but now Ology is starting to distill. Uh, remember, Ology was, was giving out free hand sanitizer early on in the pandemic. Uh, so they're starting a new distillery. And usually what happens is when you start a distillery, you start uh, with vodka because it's easy. You don't have to age it at all, right? So you distill it. It's 100% potato vodka, uh, which is uncommon. Uh, this is Tallahassee's first legally distilled spirit. So you're not only supporting Market Square Liquors if you go to Market Square Liquors to get the Ology Vodka, you're also supporting a local distillery and brewery that's that's really top-notch. So, uh, you know, support local. I'll have a little bit more information on their, uh, their weekend usual edition uh, red wine blend. I've heard really good things about it. I'm going to try that out this weekend. I'll get back to you guys on that. And then they'll also have a, a pre-Thanksgiving wine tasting event that'll be outside on November 22nd. I will get you guys more information on that as well. So thank you to Market Square Liquors, our sponsor. We appreciate your support. Guys, go ahead, check it out. Again, it's a really fun experience. They have all sorts of cool events. They're gonna have a lot coming up in the holiday season as well. We'll keep you informed of. All right, let's get to recruiting now. There were, what, Chris, about 5,000 offers this, this last week? Since the start of November, Florida State has offered 19 players. 
How many of them are 2021 and how many of them are future classes? I believe none of them are 21. I may be Do, glancing. The, well, in the last. Byron Young was last week before November started, if that's one of the ones you're referencing. No, I mean, hey, hey, real quick. Are you cranky this morning, Josh? Or am I missing? No, you said you, you said I want you to run the recruiting segment, and now Brendan's running the recruiting segment. Uh, also, earlier on the when I said the T, I wanted you to take over, and you didn't take over. Then you got a little uh, angry at me for waiting mm-hmm. for a second for you to take over and start pivoting that. So, and I said I would start the recruiting segment, which is the start of the recruiting segment, as you see on the script says Brendan take over, and then once you guys get going, you'll run it. So I'm here. I'm here for Josh. So continue. Oh, you're here for Josh, not for me, even though I'm the victim. Correct. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Um, it started with Antavius Woody. That was the first offer of November. Now there were some last week. I think Josh was uh, perking up his ears to the 21 degree. Last week we did see linebacker John Lewis from Mississippi offered. We also saw outside linebacker defensive end from the Juco ranks, Georgia Military College up there in Milledgeville, Georgia area. Byron Young, he also got offered. So those are 21 offers that we've seen here recently. But in general, a vast majority of these offers have been 22 with a few 23 sprinkled in. That is correct. There's been about 16 2022 offers, six 2023 offers. A majority of the offers were out of state. Um, I think just by sheer volume, this is the most that the staff has offered younger prospects, 22, 23, since March and April. Um, Any time that they are sitting in the office, they're usually watching film. So we see a lot of new offers go out. Um, I'm not really concerned about the lack of in-state offers because most of the in-state offers for younger prospects went out early. Um, These are offers to kind of newly emerging targets. Um, I counted offers in states like three went out in the state of Nebraska, three went out in Alabama, three in Texas, Mississippi, um, North Carolina, Louisiana, Missouri, Iowa, Arkansas, Georgia. FSU was offering kids all over the Southeast. Um, Like you said, uh, 221 offers, Um, I talked to Byron Young just to follow up on that one. I talked to Byron Young. He told me that he wants to take a visit for the Clemson game. Not ideal, um, but you got to remember FSU doesn't have much say in this. Byron Young told me that he wanted to go hit a couple schools because he, he graduates in December, wants to make a decision, got a flurry of offers last week, including Auburn, Tennessee, and I believe Ole Miss. South Carolina um, and, jumped into, and he's from yeah. South Carolina originally, so they're, that's somewhat significant. Right. So, yeah, so the offers are flying in on him. Now, whether or not he makes it to that game, I'm I'm not sure. I'm going to check with him the week of because, like I said, it's an unofficial trip. He said he's going to go with his brothers on the visit, um, wanted to hit a few schools, and that's when he could get to FSU. So I know there's fans out there rolling their eyes saying, why are we bringing him in for FSU? Well, or for Clemson, they don't really have a say in it. The staff doesn't really – get to pick um, recruits have to pay for their own travel and their own ticket. Plus there's limited options remaining. You got Pitt, you got Clemson, you got Virginia. That's it on home game. So it's got to kind of fit into the calendar of the individual that wants to visit as well. Correct. Correct. So you talked about Antavius Woody. He's an offensive tackle from Lafayette, Alabama. Um, I got a couple guys that stood out to me. There was a bunch of tight ends offered. Um, what do you think about that? They're still going strong after these tight ends. 
I mean, I think it's a matter of the offense. That's a huge piece of the offense. And currently it's not able to really do it because outside Cam McDonald, there's not much talent at the position. Um, and I don't know that they love what they have in this class going forward after Jackson West. I mean, Kobe Gross brings value in the sense of being a blocker, mm-hmm. but that is essentially all he's coming in to be, it seems. West is a guy who's more versatile. So I think it's still a position where they would like to stock up at. I think it's also a matter of just trying to get in with guys. Um, you know, a couple of the offers that stood out to me in 2022 group beyond the tight ends. And some of the tight ends were like Caden Helms. Uh, Michael, Micah R- Riley, their teammates, I believe, in Nebraska. Correct. Uh, at Bellevue. The other kid, Eli Reardon, who is in Iowa, but he's probably going to end up staying home and going to Iowa, so I'm not putting too much time into him. I really like the offer to Evan Stewart. He's one of the best wide receivers in next year's class. He's a kid out of Texas. He goes to Liberty in Frisco, Texas, so right there outside like Arlington, Dallas area. Really, really talented. Slot tight, but he could also play outside. He's about six foot tall. Jalen Walker, Salisbury, North Carolina linebacker, outside backer. He's one of the best linebackers in the country. His film's fantastic. Main issue there is he was planning to name a top six, I believe, on Friday, and he was planning to do that before FSU offered. So you don't feel very good about where FSU stands with that. And then the last offer that went out last night to a 2022 kid, at least in the sense of the kid putting it out there, was Jihad Campbell. He's a Mm -hmm. defensive end from New Jersey. Very raw, but big, talented athlete. Has some stuff there he can mold. His offer list is pretty impressive. Oregon, Penn State were some of them that I recall being on there. He's a kid that I definitely think is worth keeping eyes on. And then Isaiah Horton from Tennessee. He is listed as a receiver, but he could just as easily play defensive back. Really, really good athlete from the Tennessee area. Those are some of the 22 ones that they offered that when I was going through it yesterday and watching the huddle that I found on guys, that kind of stood out to me. And then they all, they also offered several 23 kids. I won't bore you with a lot of those. Jonte Cook from DeSoto, Texas, really explosive wide receiver. Ron Dugan's offered him. Talented kid on a loaded roster. And then Shamar Easter in Arkansas. FSU is like his fourth offer. I know Arkansas is one of the first ones. They currently claim the crystal ball predictions. Shamar Easter is a very big athlete. Could definitely play tight end. He's another kid that I think Thompson likes a lot. Yeah, I liked a couple as well. Um, you named a bunch of them. But I do think it's curious that they offered four tight ends. Uh, they offered no QBs, no defensive tackles. I, I'm not surprised they didn't offer any QBs. Um, we know how meticulous they are with that. Uh, but we didn't see any defensive tackle offers go out. Um, we saw a couple interior offensive line offers go out, mainly 2023. One in-state offer I want to talk about, Ja'Cory Thomas out of Boone High School. Um, heck of a player. He's teammates with Shambri Jackson. Ja'Cory Thomas is 2022. Um, he plays running back. He plays safety. I think he's an enforcer in the defensive secondary. Eventually, um, big frame. He's a thumper. He's only a three-star now. I wouldn't really worry about that. I think he's going he's gonna to move up the rankings. Um, another one to keep an eye on DeAndre Coleman out of Hueytown, same high school as James Winston, 6'2", 185 pound wide receiver. Um, did you talk about Jamal Shelby, a uh, 6'1", 190-pound DB? Yeah, FSU was his first offer. I did not talk about him. Okay. He's, ter- he's teammates with Byron Turner Jr. Who's a 2021 defensive end commitment for Florida state. Um, so they're turning it up a little bit for 2022, but these aren't, the prospects now that we saw aren't like the top tier guys, but I'll be honest with you. I think the group that they offered right now, we hear more about these guys 
moving forward than we do maybe that first round of offers. You agree with that? Yeah, I think they've uh, kind of figured out where they stand in the pecking order of, you know, national respect. You know, for them to compete for a guy like the linebacker I mentioned from North Carolina, Jalen Walker, it would be difficult. They're jumping in that a little late. Maybe they're hoping to get on there, get in that top six. But in general, most of these guys are, you know, I don't, I hate using second tier, especially with guys who are two years out who there's still a lot more film to evaluate. And some of these guys that they offered that you may view second tier, for example, the Isaiah Horton kid that I mentioned from Tennessee, he's not second tier. He's really, really good on film. So I I think they're finding guys that they like that they can get in the race and they're going to be a little more thick in the race right now than they would if they were just offering the top 50 kids in the country. Very good. That's all I got. Am I allowed to talk again? I'm afraid to now. I'm choosing my words very carefully here. I don't want to to upset anyone. So we looked at a lot of 2022, 2023 offers there. The 2021 ones were a couple last week. FSU currently has 16 listed pledges in the class. Say it's a 25-man class. Like at what point do we say the ratio is probably going to stall out of like how many more additions to the 2021 class do we think will be prep high school players versus saving room for grad transfers. Like I think we're hitting probably top of this, right? Yeah. I think probably um, two or three more high school players. Um, And cause you got to look at how many spots remain. They took seven transfers last year, eight, seven transfers last year. Uh, it was, I think technically nine with Cornell Jones ended up enrolling eight. I mean, he wasn't a scholarship. He wasn't a scholarship. Right. He wasn't a scholarship. So, so seven or eight. So, but we know that they kind of wanted more. So you got to assume that they're going to take more than seven this year. So they're going to take somewhere in the range probably of like seven to 10, I would think. So that probably only leaves room for like two or three more prep athletes, but that doesn't mean that they're only going to take two or three more because you could have some, you know, that exit the commit list and, you know, there could be some more comings and goings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Fuller's a guy we all expect probably not to end up in the class. So that puts you at 15. And then obviously we expect them to sign a prep receiver, Destin Hill being the top target there, but we've talked about others like JJ Henry and uh, Chauncey Magwood and some of those other guys. And then Tywon Malone is clearly a top target at DT, but I don't really know that there's a next target at DT after him if right. they do end up missing on him. And I mean, then you know they'd flip some guys, but you know the real the realistic probability of that happening some, isn't isn't great. I think they would still too, like a correct? yeah, Contravian Hargrove prep mm-hmm. running back. I still think that's a position they would like a high school kid at. And then there's the long reaches, the guys like a Tyrion Arnold, for example, but they're not getting Arnold right now. You know, and so don't get me wrong. I don't I don't think there there's a plan where they say, like, I'm only taking three more high school kids. If they had three instant, you know, if they had five, six, seven instant impact five stars that wanted to come, they would take them. it's it's more about just they don't want to continually take uh, project prospects from the high school ranks. At some point, you got to get guys that are ready to make an impact and play. Yeah, and I think that's especially true on defense. I think it's clear as day that the defense has to be upgraded a great deal. So if a Pat Payton or a John Lewis wanted in on defense, or even a Byron Young, even though he's more of a Juco type than a high school type, if they want in, they would almost certainly take one, if not two of those guys out of those Mm -hmm. three. Um, But at the same time, if it's none of those guys currently on what's on their board, they're looking at the portal. 
And, you know, I, I think it's a balance of that. So I think at the end of the day, they sign 18, maybe 19 high school kids, unless they get some real nice momentum. And then they fill out the rest, whether it's 25 or more with portal types. I, I still think they're going to end up bringing in six to 10 portal types. So we'll call it eight. And I sent Chris on a, uh, it was an unfruitful quest earlier this week with, with trying to follow like some 2021 guys who were getting some interest from FSU, but these were like plan C and, and D kids. And that didn't really uh, lead to anything. Right, Chris. Yeah. The, the Holy cross offensive lineman who jumped in the portal this week, he did say that coach Dillingham had reached out to him and that they were kind of evaluating him, but that was the extent of that. But beyond him, his name was uh, Brian. Uh, do you still have it? So Brian, his I'm, last name's hyphenated. I'm, I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. Yeah. He's the only one that there really seemed to be anything there in the sense of FSU truly kicking the tires. Now I think the portal and Josh has hit on this plenty in past podcasts. I don't think they're going to rush with portal kids. I think the portal is one of these things where it's a balance of now versus later and the talent you can get now versus talent that might be available later. Brian Francis Foley. Yes. And he's a uh, two-time all Patriot league, I believe interior offensive lineman. So yeah. He he officially jumped in on, I think it was Monday, maybe Tuesday. So there hasn't been a whole lot of development there with him, but he told me to keep me in the loop as things came about. It was interesting, though, to see them kind of cast the net with like some like they're still vetting 2021 kids, but they're yeah. not in, an offer, in a rush to offer. It's interesting because, and Josh, maybe you could help me out with this too, and I'll let you guys take over this conversation. But like we criticized Willie Taggart's staff for not moving off of plan A guys quickly enough. And all of a sudden they were scrambling. It felt like to get like they missed out on the plan B's and all of a sudden they're going to the C to D list to try to fill out the class. It seems like right now this is a little bit more proactive as they're doing the vetting process of like, do they want to go on some of these C or D kids or not? It's a lot more proactive. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of it comes from this staff has a realization of where they stand in the circle of recruiting life. Um, they know that they're not on the top of the totem pole right now. So they're not just going to sit back on their heels and wait for all these top kids that they offered in March to completely fall off the board. I mean, they know the vibes. They see what's out there. They see what's happening in 2022 recruiting because, look, this 2020 season hasn't been as successful as we had hoped. You know that moving forward, you see what 2021 recruiting is. 2022 from the high school ranks isn't going to be much different from this year. Um, unless something dramatically changes in these last couple games of the season. So they're, they're doing their due diligence. They're finding players that fit their system, good football players that they can get on early, get to know, build relationships with, and hopefully get on campus once, uh, once things open back up, maybe in the spring or summer. Yeah, I think that's really what this sets up for. They're still turning over rocks and looking. Austin Uke, for example, kid out of uh, the Texas area, He's trending up. He's a Holy Cross commitment. SMU recently offered. They're trending with him. But FSU is among the power fives evaluating him. Um, so it's not like they're just, uh, we're done with high school. We're not doing that. But it's abundantly clear they're not just going to take high school kids to reach a certain number. Okay, I think that wraps up the recruiting talk. Josh, you got about 20 minutes left, and we're going to do our pit preview. Do you want to be part of this, or do you want to give the algorithm and get out of here? I'm going to give you the option. Uh, I got time. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna start previewing FSU versus Pitt. Uh, it's four p.m. this Saturday. Chris, what channel is it going to be on ACC Network? Yeah, it's ACC Network. 
All right, and we'll have a how to watch uh, for, for those of you trying to look at how to find the ACC network. Chris and I will be there. Uh, is that going to be there with us, Chris? Nah, it's a two-man show for us this weekend. All right, Josh, what do you think about me doing like strictly sideline watching? Like that, I'll just do like a full story on just life through binoculars for this game. Um, I'm all for taking things completely out of context and publishing it on our website. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we do. <laughs> I mean, you're just looking to see what's going on inside. You can't hear anything, so you're just reading lips and, and posting what's going on. I am an extremely astute observer of body language and reading people. You should I, just go. With, you should go with the Rothstein version. Well placed sources. <laughs> Josh, I could tell okay, you. Okay, John, grumpy. we get it. You got to fit it. I could tell you were grumpy, Josh, before you even said a word today. I could just, I could tell. I can, I can, I can pick up on these things. I'm very. I have sensitive. palm trees on my T-shirt. How could I be grumpy? It looks like camouflage, and that's how I know you're grumpy because you somehow made you made uh, palm trees look like you're trying to go to war. That that's. I didn't, that's I didn't think those were palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so starting with Pitt. It, okay, now I see it. Oh, the, there they go. In the All dark, right. it doesn't look quite like palm trees. It looks like something else that has multiple leaves. Different types um, of trees. Starting with Pitt, Pitt, it all starts with, is Kenny Pickett playing? And in appearance, he is not. That is their quarterback, veteran quarterback. Makes the offense go, can throw it, can run it. Last night, uh, Pat Narduzzi, Pitt head coach, he participated in his radio show. He said that quarterback Joe Yellen will start his third straight game for the Panthers when they travel to FSU. Pickett is still not 100%. It doesn't completely rule out Pickett playing, but it certainly seems like they're not able to rely on him. His issue is an ankle injury, really hinders who and what he is, which is a deep ball passer who's also capable of running it. Um, With Yellen at quarterback, their offense has been quite crappy, to put it just plain simple. It's not been good. They can't run the ball. They're one of the worst running teams in the country, actually. If they run effectively on FSU, then, well, pack it up and we're done here because there's nothing else to watch the rest of the year. Um, season low Pitt, for, for Pitt, season low in yards per play the last two weeks, 4.1 and 3.6. Uh, yeah, and the, the offense without Pickett has been especially dreadful. Yeah. Um, the run stat in that time is that in their four losses, one of those with Pickett at quarterback, the other three, the one where he got hurt in the last two where he didn't play, they're averaging 64 rushing yards. Okay, so, so they, but, but they, they don't look to run it a ton either. Like with Pickett, they would do like not air raid type well, of stuff, but a lot of empty backfields and quick passes. Yeah. So, so that's not what they do, but now they can't do either. They like putting a ton of pressure on their wide receivers, and it comes down to the quarterback making an effective pass and the wide receiver winning it, usually at its highest point. And that's something that Pickett was pretty damn effective at. There's a reason he's racked up high-level stats at Pitt. It's not something they've been effective at without him running the show. Jordan Addison, slot receiver, freshman's their best wide receiver from a production standpoint. 41 catches, 484, and three receiving touchdowns. Their best running back is Vincent Davis, but he only has 91 rushes for 263. Their second leading rusher was Pickett. So that speaks again to the fact that the rushing attack is not very good. Offensively, they're just not intimidating. There's not much about them that should really scare you. FSU's defense has been so dreadful that it's tough to say, oh, this is the kind of game where you keep a team down in the you know, teens or 20s. It's tough to say that with FSU, but Pitt doesn't come off as a team that's going to fire on all cylinders offensively. Now, where Pitt can get you is defensively. They're going to put a hell of a lot of pressure on you up front. They did lose Paris Ford, their star safety, arguably one of the top two, three safeties in the league behind like Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame. Um, or he's right there with Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame and a healthy Hampson Nazaldine. Those three are probably the three best safeties in the league. Ford opted out 
during the bye week here in the last week. So they did lose that. That's a big loss in their back half. And their back half has been struggling in the sense where you can throw the ball on them and kind of pick on them. But up front, they can get things done. Uh, I have no clue how you correctly pronounce the money linebacker's name. He's actually their reserve, but he plays a lot. Cervasia Dennis, I think is how you say it. He leads them with 10 and a half tackles for loss, 44 tackles on the season, 26 solo tackles. He's a guy that can just rack it up. They're very good at pressuring the quarterback. Rashad Weaver, Patrick Jones, both defensive linemen for them. They do a great job with that. In Jones's case, he has seven sacks on the season, 16th in the nation, nine and a half tackles for loss. Weaver also has nine and a half tackles for loss. He's only played in six of the seven games for Pitt. Um, he also has four and a half sacks on the season. Their linebacker group in general is also a tackle-heavy group. They rack up the tackles for loss. They rack up the sacks. They put a great deal of pressure on you at the line of scrimmage. They're going to let their DBs play one-on-one with you, but they're going to be physical at the line. They're going to be physical down the field. They're going to be physical at the point of the ball reaching you. So if you're not ready to fight and win, you're going to struggle. Um, but they have had moments this year where their DBs have faltered. They've been out of place and allowed some explosive plays. So they are susceptible to that. So I think for FSU to be successful, they're going to have to be adamant with running the ball, but they're also going to have, have to hit shots down the field. And I think the running for FSU, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a great day. I don't think Travis or backs have a great day in the sense of racking it up. But I think you just have to be consistent with it. You have to be willing to do it. And that's a situation where you can't play behind the chains and you can't play behind on the scoreboard. You put yourself in a bad situation early, Pitt's the kind of team that will smother you to some degree. Let's, let's focus a little bit more on their defense. Chris Pitt leads the country in sacks per game, 4.43 per game. Uh, as an aside, Clemson is third nationally in sacks per game. Duke is 10th, Virginia is 14th, and NC State is 19th. So we're going to get a test of what this offensive line is about and whether Jordan Travis can evade some pressure because you got – all the rest of the teams remaining on the schedule are top 20 in sacks. Yeah. They um, also lead the country in tackles for loss, 11.3 per game. And they also lead the country in rushing yards allowed per game. Yeah, and well, had, in, the, in the sense of the sacks, it's not like they've racked up seven against one and one against other. They've had two or more sacks in every single game this year. And they've recorded double-digit tackles for loss in every game but two. <laughs> so they're pretty consistent at creating that kind of pressure. That's a that's a challenging. This is I picked Pittsburgh at the, in the beginning of this year – to beat FSU, that's when they had a healthy starting quarterback. But this was the reason why. It's because Pittsburgh's defense controlling the line of scrimmage, really good. Patrick Jones, their defensive end, has seven sacks. For context, fellas, how, how many sacks does FSU have this year? Uh, Offhand, seven or eight, I think. Eight. 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 Patrick Jones has one less sack individually as FSU does as a, as a team. Uh, what I noticed, I don't know if you saw this in watching Pitt, Chris, is that uh, they get pressure with four. I think that's the, sometimes even three. They collapse the pocket so quickly off the edges. Uh, they're really aggressive with what they do up front, and they're really good at it. Uh, that, yeah, that's pretty scary. I think offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham said it earlier this week. They they're kind of old school, old fashioned in the sense of they're going to be ultra physical with you. They're not one of these soft zone dink and dunk you can take it kind of teams. They're going to put the pressure upon you. They're going to bring the house. They're going to bring the pain. They're going to bring the pressure and it's not always, you know, exotic or bring in extra people. They're just going to play downhill on you and their linebackers trigger really well and they'll get after you. And they do do a good job of putting people on the ground. I mean, they're only allowing 297.4 yards per game. That's third in the ACC, 11th in the country in total defense. So they're not a team that gets torn to shreds quite often. It's quite rare, actually. Um, This is one of those games where I think hopefully Jordan Travis is healthy. And I think he is healthier than he's been in several weeks. 
he's going to have to make some magic happen in situations where it looks like a bad play is about to happen and he somehow turns it into a no loss or a short gain to keep him ahead of the chains. Pitt's mm-hmm. the kind of team, if they get you in a third and long, yeah, they're going to trigger and they're going to come after you. And FSU doesn't have the line to sustain against those in multiple situations. Remember, Pat Narduzzi was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State when Harlan Barnett was defensive back coach. So, so Harlan, if you remember in 2018, tried to bring a similar scheme to what they're running at Pitt now uh, to FSU. And obviously uh, there were some complications with the head coach wanting something different. And uh, But my point is, is that what you remember what FSU was good at initially in the beginning of the year was they were aggressive up front. They had a good defensive line. The linebackers, they didn't think very highly of, so they just had them trigger downhill a lot. And eventually that left – uh, the middle of the defense susceptible to to a lot of in-between intermediate passing yards. Uh, Pittsburgh's linebackers are better than what FSU's were back then in 2018, but the same thing can be said if you look at where Pittsburgh gives up a lot of their yardage, it's in the middle of the field because those linebackers, like Chris said, are, are so quick trigger, downhill, aggressive type of guys. You can find them, uh, find these soft spots in the middle of the defense. So uh, that hasn't been a strength for Jordan Travis so far, uh, but that's going to be open for him. He's going to have to hit it. That's going to be key for him uh, this yeah, this week. Pitt started 3-0, and they've gone on four cents. In their four losses, they've allowed 308.8 passing yards per game. In their, four, in their three victories prior to that, they were allowing 121 passing yards per game. On the season, they're allowing 228.3. So that that's where they're susceptible. One thing about this game that I know it's going to be almost certainly happening, watch it won't happen, there's going to be a lot of yellow on the field. Both teams are highly penalized. Pitt's 97th in the country in penalties. I know FSU's up there as well. FSU is second to last, only behind UCF because they get like five false starts in a row. consistently uh one other thing on the defensive numbers that chris mentioned with with the recent skid here for Pitt, that passing defense in the last four games they've allowed at least 7.5 yards per attempt uh, which isn't great through the air they've given up 14 passing touchdowns to two interceptions not great it is interesting though the completion percentage more or less hovers around 50 percent they allow big plays uh so again aggressive defense that's going to be either hit or miss uh, so when you're at FSU, uh, when you're on offense, you have to hit those big plays. They're going to be available for you uh, to win. You're going to have to to have to hit it. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot more I want to go over on with Pitt's offense. I mean, basically, like you said, Chris, it's Kenny Pickett made it go. If he's not playing, if he's not available, that's a toughie. I mean, the drop off from him to Yellen in yards per attempt is 7.7 to 5.2. Pickett had eight passing touchdowns to three interceptions. Yellen has one passing touchdown of three. The passer rating difference is 136 to 85. So there's a huge, huge drop off. Yellen has had the unfortunate circumstance of, of going against Miami and Notre Dame. Those are two pretty good defenses, uh, especially with the, the pass rush. But yeah, there's there's not a whole lot to, to vet there because if, if Pickett isn't playing, like their defense is going to be, or their offense is going to be subpar. We just have to see if FSU's defense brings first half North Carolina or, or for, first half Louisville. And we, and we don't know. <laughs> and we don't know what we're going to see from that defense. So let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to do our predictions. We'll get Newberg out of here. We're all going to get out of here because we're almost done with the podcast. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We're finishing up here with our predictions for FSU Pitt. New, let's uh, let's go over the algorithm. What's it telling you for this week? Um, I try to keep my predictions straight across all platforms. Um, 31-21 is what I said yesterday on the roll-up. So I'm going 31-21, Florida State over Pitt. You heard it right. Ooh, all right. So covering the spread, it was at two and a half this morning or two this morning. Chris, go ahead and find, uh, give me your score. I'm going to try to find the spread real quick. I'm going FSU 27, pit 24. FSU misses an extra point, but scores four touchdowns. Love it. Wow. Wow. So the pressure's on me to, to either be a contrarian or to pick, uh, pick with my heart here. I'm just stalling because I'm trying to find the, the spread. Let's be honest. Predicting Florida State in 2020 is kind of a adventure. I was going to go over the numbers. I'm pretty sure I'm leading our uh, our our pool. I mean, right I, I was really disappointed that none of us predicted that Louisville would run 13 plays for 430 yards. <laughs> yeah, how'd you not know that? Yeah. I am going to go with Florida State 24, Pittsburgh 21. Clean sweep, fellas. FSU. Going on to three and four on the season. And the spread for this right now, oh, it's down to uh, one and a half points. FSU is a one and a half point favorite. All right, we got anything else? What's the panic button moment of this game? Oh, boy. 7-0 pit? No, I, I think it's more than a score. I think Uh-oh. it's I think it's double digit. I think the bigger concern is a pick. I thought you meant when am I going to start panicking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's more if Pitt comes out and consistently runs it. Uh, if Pitt goes on his first drive and just methodically moves the ball down the field and then FSU's first drive includes Jordan Travis getting sacked and coming up holding the shoulder, I think the panic button would, would go off pretty early on in the game. There's some potential for that. It's going to be interesting to see the mindset of this team where they're at. You know, in the beginning of the year, I'd said like I thought this would be like a season in chapters and, and the first two games were a pretty shitty chapter and then – it was kind of like the comeback chapter uh, through the next three games. And then you had the Louisville game. Uh, so like, what was, is that, is, is Louisville game in the bye week with a weird team meeting player early meeting going to be another chapter uh, just isolated with a, with a good one coming out afterwards, or is this going to be an extended chapter of a, uh, of regression? We're going to see, do we turn the page or not? How's that for poetic? All right. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to, Rate us on all platforms. Have a great I want to day. Clar- Hold on. I want to clarify <laughs> some things because I think I come off as a bit of an asshole on this episode. <laughs> I don't Last think so. Uh, I wouldn't say a bit. I don't think so. I'm just glad you told me it's palm trees and not marijuana. Uh, okay. Last night, I'm playing tennis with a buddy and at 6.30 p.m., Brendan texts me, Josh, can you take the lead on putting together topics for recruiting? A lot of offers for you to discuss. Would like to get all kinds of info together so you can go over offers succinctly, then expand on trends. I reply, yes. So I wake up at 5.30 this morning 
to review 26 offers. I list them, I track them, I sort them. I have everything in order, succinct to go over, and mm-hmm. I have trends. But Brendan bulldozes the whole subject and takes over. Anyway. All right. Well, let's let me counter that with uh, we got we got six more minutes before you have to go. Uh, uh, let me counter that with with my notes. All right. One, and it's in the text message. I'm looking at it now. Recruiting Brendan takes over. Now, let's ignore that the first one where I have Josh takes over when I you're supposed to start with the the T and the scoop transition, and then you just hung me out to dry and went like that, like you wanted me to go when I was waiting for you. So, so one uh, error for Josh and then the ad read and then Brendan takes over recruiting and then we discuss, I'm going to start it and then we'll get you guys going and then you just run back and forth. And so we were, I thought- Brendan, you talk too much, okay? I, I think we were you in that do that transition. all the time. <laughs> I thought we were in that part of the, the transition process though. <laughs> you were and, also, and also, how am I supposed to know you had this methodical, beautiful notebook of, of notes and trends? No one communicated to, that to you me. You wanted me to go over the trends. No one, confirmed, what I do. no one confirmed to say, hey, this is what we have right now. Uh, how am I supposed to know that? I wonder if this is what a polygamy therapist session feels like. I'm starting like. to drink. I don't even drink and I'm drinking early. That's a really weird glass to be drinking water. It's not enough water if that's water and it's too much it's vodka. bourbon vodka. from Market Square Liquors. Thank you, Market Square Liquors, for sponsoring oh, us. You Road. probably won't want to do it after this episode anymore. <laughs> I do talk too much. I get nervous and I just keep talking and talking. It's okay. That's why the people love you. I don't know if that's true. Hey, but five stars reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, please. Uh, you can even say I suck on it, but just give us a five star review. We don't. No, don't do that works. because Brendan reads the reviews. <laughs> Does he falls in that trap all the time? Guys are being mean to me again. <laughs> My reply, Brendan, stop reading the reviews. <laughs> but this is what they said. <laughs> I want the feedback. I want to know what we can get better at as a show. All right, I'm gonna end it. For Thank Chris you. Nee, for Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Snow. This has been On the Bench. Uh, we'll talk to you on Saturday evening after FSU gets after that ass. See ya. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.